Hello, everyone. Welcome to Millennial Learns. My name is Abby Rancor. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. Um, last week, I didn't record any podcasts. Usually, I do two, but it was a crazy week. We're about to move into a house in a couple weeks. Work is wild, so I took a week off to just kind of relax, but we're back at it. I can't take more than a week off of the podcast, so we are back with the history of Rhode Island. As you may know, it is the smallest state in the union, but that does not mean it is short on history or historical facts or interesting things at all. It's small but mighty, so enjoy this week's episode on the history of Rhode Island. So before we get into the history of the state, I want to get into a little bit of facts and figures and geography, climate, all that kind of thing, because that tends to play a pretty big role in the history sometimes. Like if you're on the coast, you're going to have a much different industry than someone landlocked. So I like to go over that just to give context to where we are and stuff like that. So Rhode Island became a state on May 29th, 1790. They were the 13th of the original 13 colonies to join the union as a state. Now they were the first one to declare independence or want independence from England. So they led the charge in that way, but it took them a little while to actually become a state. And so that happened in 1790. Now, the capital of the state is Providence, Rhode Island. That's also the largest city by population. And Rhode Island is one of the most densely populated states in the entire United States. Um, it is the third most densely populated state. So it's very heavily industrialized. It's very crowded. It's like a, basically a large city. So there's over a thousand people per square mile at about a thousand and three. And it's very small. It's the you know smallest state in the union. It is only about 48 miles at its longest point. So it has a coastline that rain that stretches about 40 miles in the, uh, you know, touching the Atlantic. But what was confusing to me when I first read about Rhode Island is they kept talking about how there's almost 400 miles of shoreline. And at first, like the first website I got went to, I thought it was a typo because, you know, the length of the coastline was 40 miles and the shoreline I assumed was also 40 miles. Um, and so I thought it was a typo, but I kept looking at these other websites. They all said that there are almost 400 miles of shoreline. So I went and looked at a Rhode Island map. And if you look, it's not really just like a solid landmass. There's a bunch of different little parts and islands. And uh, there's water kind of interspersed in these bays in the state. So even though the coastline itself stretches 40 miles, like between Connecticut and Massachusetts, because Rhode Island is right in the middle between Connecticut and Massachusetts. So even though part of it is stretching for 40 miles um, from the edge of Connecticut to the edge of Massachusetts, there's all these inlets where if you follow that shoreline, that measures 400 miles. So that's what they mean when they say the shoreline is 400 miles because of all the bays and how much water there is in the state. And for that reason, 
the nickname of Rhode Island is actually the Ocean State. So I really didn't know that's how shoreline and coastline worked. So that's very good to learn. Um, so why is it named Rhode Island? Well, originally it was, it's basically called Rhode Island because that means originally Red Island because of the red, like clay shorelines that the settlers saw when they first came to Rhode Island. So that's the short synopsis of why it is named that. It's kind of a road is a Anglo-Saxonized version of the original name. So means Red Island. Okay, so like I said, it borders Connecticut to the west and Massachusetts to the east, if you're like looking straight on at Rhode Island. And then the climate actually seems pretty good. So I kind of go by that comfort index that I find on that um, website. I think it's called bestplaces.com. I'll link it below. But their comfort index is exactly on par with the national average at it a seven. So the national average is a seven and Rhode Island's, at least in the, you know, um, Providence County is also a seven. So the temperature ranges throughout the year can go anywhere from 21 degrees in the winter to 83 degrees in the summer. And the best time of year to visit for warm weather activities, they say, is from mid-June to mid-September. Now, it doesn't seem like it actually gets that humid. I'm looking at something that says, okay, it's um, pretty, it, it can get really muggy in like July and August, but it's a pretty short window that it's actually super humid. So it does seem pretty darn comfortable. You definitely want to go kind of in the fall or in the spring, it seems like from these weather charts, because anywhere from December to March is pretty darn cold and anywhere from mid-June to mid-August is pretty warm. So, um, but overall, not too bad of, um, of a climate in Rhode Island. Naturally, it's very similar to Connecticut and Massachusetts climates because it's so small and it's right in the middle of those. Okay, the state motto, which is like the most simple of any of the state mottos that I've found is just hope. That's it. It's just hope. So it's on their state seal and it was thought to originate from a Bible verse about hope um, that, you know, the legislators really liked. They adopted the word hope as their official motto. Okay. So let's talk about the history of the state. So as usual, there were Native Americans living in the region before any settlers from Europe got there. So this says around 6,000 BCE, the first people to inhabit the first people to inhabit the region that would later become Rhode Island um, migrated across the land bridge between Asia and North America. Okay, so the Native Americans living in this region include the Nipmuc, the Pico. Piquo, Wampanoag, and Narragansett tribes. 
I probably did not pronounce any of those correctly, but I am going to do a podcast researching more about like the Native American culture when the settlers got here and stuff like that, because I am interested in how these tribes, you know, were living kind of beforehand and how they like interacted with each other. Um, so I am interested in that and I'm going to do a podcast about it pretty soon. Um, okay. So, in 1614, a Dutch explorer named Adrian Block visited the island that, you know, is now named for him, it says. 1620, so six years later, the Mayflower uh, lands in the Americas. This is when um, the first European settlers arrived to New England. It's not necessarily Rhode Island specific, but it's a good landmark to know kind of what time we're in. In 1630, a man named Roger Williams, who we've talked about before in these, um, leaves England and he sailed to the Massachusetts Bay Colony. He moved between Boston, Salem, and Plymouth, and he starts promoting these really progressive ideas at the time of freedom of religion and the separation of church and state. So he is going to become a major player in Rhode Island later. Um, But in 1634, another man named William Blackstone became the first Rhode Island settler. So he didn't like really establish uh, any, I mean, he established a little settlement, but not like a whole colony. That didn't happen until 1636 when Roger Williams, who we had just talked about, he was banished from the Massachusetts Bay Colony for his views on religion. And um, in that year, he founded Providence on land that was granted to him by the Narragansett chiefs. So those two chiefs' names, I'm not going to try to pronounce, but there were two chiefs that granted Roger Williams land, and that is why Providence, why and when Providence became um, founded or became a city. Okay, in 1638, the Portsmouth Compact was signed. So, the Portsmouth Compact basically created the town of Portsmouth. It says a picture of the plaque um, in is in Founders Park in Portsmouth. And then in that same year, Anne Hutchinson, expelled from the Massa- from Massachusetts for her religious views, becomes the first woman to participate in founding a town. So she participates in founding what is called Pocasset, which is later Portsmouth. So all of that is kind of happening at the same time, where there's the Portsmouth Compact, and then Anne Hutchinson plays a role in this founding. Okay, in 1639, there's something called the Newport Compact. It formed the basis of settlement, it says, and it was signed in April by a bunch of men, but like the main player in that was a man named William Coddington, and he basically founded Newport. Alright, then the same year, 1639, Roger Williams founds the first Baptist church in America that was founded in Providence. So I, I always think of Baptist churches as a Southern thing, and I had assumed that it would have been founded some at some point or somewhere in the south but roger williams actually founds that in providence rhode island 
1640, Newport establishes a common burying ground for all residents, regardless of religion, race, or social status. So they're pretty progressive with things like race and gender and things like that. So that land was donated by a man named Dr. John Clark, and he actually played a very central role in getting Rhode Island's Royal Charter like 20 years later. So he donated that land for the public cemetery. Okay, 1643, we have Rhode Island's fourth settlement that pops up. Um, a man named Samuel Gorton founded this settlement. It was called Shawamet. The town was named Warwick a few years later in honor of the Earl of, of Warwick. Now, Roger Williams also in 1643 published A Key into the Language of America, which was an Algonquian language dictionary, which is the native tongue of the Native Americans that were in the area. So he made this dictionary to help people um, and give some commentary on the culture and the customs of the Native Americans in, you know, this region. Okay, 1643 to 1644, the name, so this this whole area was originally called Aquid, Aquidneck, Aquidneck, that obviously is pretty hard to say, <laughs> but um, in 1643, and I think it is 1644, the name was officially changed to the Isle of Rhodes, or Rhode Island. Okay, 1647, Portsmouth, Newport, and Warwick, all those three big settlements, all create a system of government for Providence plantations that establishes the rights of the citizens. So, it was not until 2020, actually, I just read, that Rhode Islanders voted to take the name Providence plantations out of their name. So, kind of interesting. That was like, it was like Rhode Island um and providence plantations and now it's just rhode island um 1652 rhode island is really on the cusp of history here they pass a law banning slavery which is good but it was not very well enforced at all so there were definitely people who still had slaves but technically it was illegal okay 1663 is when rhode island actually becomes a royal colony so the royal charter guarantees rhode islanders freedom of religion and the right to govern themselves and that original royal charter is now on display at the rhode island state house which is very cool um the seal with the word hope um is adopted in 1664 so it has survived a very long time um and then in 1675 it was king philip's war so it says increasing tensions between colonists and native americans lead to war king philip's war named for a wampanoag leader metacomet known as king philip to the english lasted only 14 months but it permanently changed rhode island thousands of indigenous people were killed survivors fled or were captured and sold into slavery the decisive battle in king philip's war was fought against the narragansett so it was only about a year long, but yeah, it had a very big impact on the state of Rhode Island.
Okay, in 1696, the first slave ship, or first documented slave ship, came to Rhode Island, and it arrives in Newport. There's about a thousand slaves, um, or in total, approximately a thousand slaving voyages originate in Rhode Island, carrying more than a hundred thousand African men, women, and children to be sold into slavery. So it says African heritage people, both slave and free, made up a significant portion of the population in the urban seaports of Newport, Providence, and Bristol, and in the working farms of Western Rhode Island during this period. So slavery, even though it was technically illegal, they started importing slave ships. So I think they just really didn't care about that first law. Um... The Quakers, also known as the Society of Friends, build their Great Friends Meeting House in Newport in 1699. So there's a big Quaker population there. They're among, it says, the most persecuted religious group in New England in the 1600s. But, you know, uh, Newport and Rhode Island, because of their charter of freedom of religion, it became a very good safe haven for Quakers who were getting persecuted elsewhere. In 1705, there is a section of the Newport Common Burying Ground that is established only for African Americans, which is known as God's Little Acre. So they, I'm pretty sure like African Americans just weren't buried or they had to be buried just by their family, like wherever. Um, I don't know if they're, this seemed like a big milestone to actually have a part of um, a burying ground be reserved for African-Americans. In 1724, Rhode Island establishes property ownership qualifications for voters. So you couldn't vote unless you owned property. So it was all pretty much decently rich white men that were um, allowed to vote, which pretty much goes along with the rest of the states that we've seen. Oh man, my notes keep... Jumping around here. Okay, so in 1762, Anne Franklin becomes the first female editor of an American newspaper. That is called the Newport Mercury. So big strides happening for women. So uh, that's always good to see. The oldest synagogue in the United States is in Newport, and it was dedicated in 1763. So it's called Toro Synagogue, and It's T-O-U-R-O. Apparently, it's still open and you can go see it. In 1764, Brown University is established in Rhode Island. It is the first college in the state and the third in New England. The charter says that all students will enjoy free, absolute, and uninterrupted liberty of conscience. So that's a big milestone and really goes along with the higher education themes that we've seen in the rest of these New England colonies. Um, 1772, there are more British trade restrictions that are coming in. The colonists are getting angry, and the colonists burned the British revenue cutters Liberty and Gatsby. So, yeah, we're starting to build to the war here. There's, like, way more tension with taxes and things like that. Uh, 18 months after that attack, the Massachusetts colonists participate in the Boston Tea Party. So technically, again, this is not in Rhode Island, but it's a good like landmark for how things are kind of progressing in the war. Um, 
Rhode Island uh, prohibits the further importation of slaves in 1774, and Providence citizens are actually the first people or the first group to propose something called a Continental Congress at their town meeting. So the Providence citizens came up with that at their local town meeting. Then they spread the idea through the colonies, and that's why the first Continental Congress met at Carpenter's Hill in Pennsylvania later that year in 1774. So they were pretty forward thinking with like getting this together, wanting to have independence, and adopting a Continental Congress. On May 4th, 1776, so like right before the Declaration of Independence, a couple months before the Declaration of Independence was signed, the Rhode Island General Assembly passes an act of renunciation. It was the first colony to renounce its allegiance to the king. So it was not an actual like formal separation from England, but it's a, they call it an important legislative step towards the Declaration of Independence. So then two months later, everyone gets together and all 13 colonies sign the Declaration of Independence. Between 1776 and 1779, there was a British occupation of Newport. So that entire time, the British came and occupied Newport. 1778, so while it was still under that occupation, uh, Generals John Sullivan and General Lafayette won a partial victory, it says, in the Battle of Rhode Island on the Aquidneck Island, but they failed to actually get the British out. It was still under occupation, but they did win a partial victory. Another big milestone in that was that the 1st Rhode Island Regiment was authorized in that same year, 1778. It's a fully African-American and Native American regiment. So enslaved soldiers that served in that regiment were guaranteed their freedom. In 1779, British forces evacuated Rhode Island in October, and um, from 1780 to 1781, French troops under General Rochambeau were stationed in Rhode Island. Another big thing that has to do with that first Rhode Island regiment was that Rhode Island had the first integrated regiment in the United States. So the first Rhode Island regiment joined with the second Rhode Island regiment and became an integrated, like black native, you know, black Native American and white group to fight in the Revolutionary War, which was the first in the United States. In 1784, the Emancipation Act was passed. It provided it wasn't all at once that every slave was free, but it was a gradual abolition of slavery. All children born after March 1st of 1784 were free. Um, in 1786, farmers led a strike against merchants who refused to accept depreciated paper money. So because of, you know, the economics of the war and stuff, merchants were not accepting paper money and farmers were on strike. So there's like a very big economic effect to wars that I don't think I've really paid attention to. So maybe that would be an interesting like topic of study and podcast to do it on because I didn't even know that this was an issue. Like 
I didn't know that the depreciation of paper money was even an issue in the war. So very interesting. Okay, we are finally at 1789. The Constitution becomes the governing document for the U.S. And Rhode Island ratified that in 1790. There's also, in 1790, the first successful U.S. cotton mill is established in Rhode Island by Samuel Slater and David Wilkinson. That's That man, Samuel Slater, also built the first water-powered textile mill in America, um, in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and this is considered the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. The growth of industry brings thousands of immigrants to Rhode Island, it says. So, I didn't, I guess, realize either that there was kind of one turning point or like one beginning uh, event that started the Industrial Revolution. But it was this first water-powered textile textile mill. The War of 1812 happens, obviously, in 1812, and Rhode Island refuses to participate in the war. So no Rhode Islanders went and fought in the war. There is the first anti-slavery meeting in Providence in 1833. And then... Okay, 1841, it says Providence lawyer Thomas Wilson Dorr founded a People's Party to liberalize the Rhode Island Charter of 1663. He submitted a new liberal constitution to extend suffrage in the state to those who did not own property. So big steps on suffrage. There was the Dorr's Rebellion in Rhode Island in 1842. It forced the state's conservatives to abolish the Charter of 1663 and expand uh, suffrage, and then it kind of fully went into effect in 1843 when the current state constitution was adopted. It extended voting rights to any native-born adult male, regardless of race, who can pay a poll tax of one dollar. Okay, 1853. This is very interesting. Rhode Island manufacturing firm Brown and Sharp standardizes measurement tools revolutionizing mass production in Rhode Island and around the country. I forgot that before that at one point there was no standard measuring tools or measurement tools. And so that happened in 1853 and that's what really contributed to the industrial revolution and you know mass production of products. Uh, 1867, Elizabeth Buffum Chase submits the first of many petitions for women's suffrage to the Rhode Island legislature. So that was in 1867. Women did not get the right to vote until 1919 nationwide, or I guess it went to affect 1920. So they were very ahead of the times. That was like... 50 years before women actually got the right to vote that people were kind of lobbying for that. In 1885, the first African-American man to be elected to the General Assembly is elected. His name was Reverend Mallon Van Horn. He was re-elected in both 1886 and 1887. And that's because during this time, legislators only served one-year terms which is kind of interesting. So that's since changed, but he was reelected twice after his first election. 
Okay, 1895, construction of the new Rhode Island State House begins. It's completed nine years later. And an interesting fact about the State House is it was one of the first major public buildings in the U.S. to have electricity in it, um, which is pretty cool. In 1920, Rhode Island is the 24th state to ratify the 19th Amendment, and that basically gives women the right to vote. In 1935, there was something called the Bloodless Revolution, which the short synopsis is Democrats replaced Republican dominance in House and Senate. So I guess all of them kind of swapped there. And so Democrats um, were now the party in control. In 1936, Rhode Island became the first state in the nation to use voting machines in every district. There were a couple hurricanes and floods, like, all throughout the 1900s. In um, 1954, or, no, sorry, 1938, there was a hurricane that killed about 600 people. In 1954, 19 people were killed, but there was $90 million of damages from Hurricane Carroll. Um, 1955, there was severe flooding. And... Let's see. In 1968, the state's first enclosed climate-controlled mall opened. The Newport Bridge, so big transportation wins. Uh, the Newport Bridge opened between Jamestown and Newport in 1969. Um, there was a big blizzard where 21 people died in 1978, which is kind of shocking. I, don't, I never think of Rhode Island as a blizzard state. Um, and it's pretty rare that it would get that cold, but yeah, there was a blizzard in 1978. The first woman elected to Congress was Claudine Schneider from Rhode Island. She was uh, elected in 1980. In 1996, I was not old enough, old enough to remember this, but people listening who are may remember there was a tug towing barge in 1996 that caught fire and millions of gallons of oil spilled near South Kingston, Rhode Island. I'm sure that was on the news. It sounds pretty bad. Um, prostitution is outlawed in 2009. There's rainstorms causing flooding, forced thousands from homes, property damage over $200 million in 2010. I do not remember that either. Um, the Senate approved a bill allowing civil unions for gay couples in 2011, and then there was Hurricane Irene also in 2011. And again, in 2020, that is when Rhode Island dropped the like plantations, Providence Plantations name from their official state name. So that was just recent news that happened a couple years ago. So. Um, okay, so that's the history, very jam-packed history timeline there for Rhode Island. Um, so let's talk about famous people from Rhode Island. There was, it was kind of small pickings because, um, it's just because it's such a small state, like there's not going to be a ton of people there, but here's the list that I could conjure up. Viola Davis is from there, who's an actress. H.P. Lovecraft, who I have no idea who that is, but... Maybe some people will. He's an author of, it sounds like, horror books. Meredith Vieira. Vieira. Yeah, she is a talk show host. I definitely recognize her face. I just didn't recognize necessarily her last name. But she was an original 
host of The View. She's a talk show host, and she's done a bunch of other things now. Um, and then George M. Cohen, who I didn't know who that was, but he's a playwright. He was born in Rhode Island as well. The reason why he's so notable is he wrote Give, oh, Give My Regards to Broadway, The Yankee Doodle Boy, and a bunch of other Broadway tunes. So he was a very big player in uh, Broadway and Broadway music that we know today. All right, state symbols for the bird. It's the Rhode Island red. Fish is the striped bass, which is pretty standard. A lot of states have the striped bass. The flower, state flower is the violet. And Rhode Island was actually the last state to adopt a flower. The tree is the red maple. The state fruit is the Rhode Island greening apple. So there's a lot of those in Rhode Island, and it's pretty specific to that state. And then the interesting one that I wanted to like do a little deep dive into was coffee milk. Because I've never heard of this before, but that is the state drink of Rhode Island. So I read this little blurb, and I'm going to read it to you now. It says, coffee milk is similar to chocolate milk, but it's made with coffee syrup. A coffee cabinet is coffee milk with ice cream, which is essentially a coffee-flavored milkshake. The main ingredient of the shake is coffee milk, first introduced to Rhode Islanders in early 1920s. Coffee milk became so popular in Rhode Island that in 1993, the Rhode Island state legislature voted coffee milk as the official state drink. It's called a cabinet because its originator kept his blender in a kitchen cabinet. Autocrat coffee syrup, which is like a brand of coffee syrup, is the preferred syrup in Rhode Island. Autocrat of Rhode Island is a leading provider of premium coffee syrup and coffee extract since 1895. So I did not ever know about this, but I'm pretty, I think I'm going to go onto Amazon and order Autocrat coffee syrup and just try this because I really, this sounds amazing. Coffee syrup in milk sounds really, really good. So Okay, and then the last thing we want to go over is the attractions of Rhode Island. Now, I'm not going to go into all these because I'll tell you why. They fall into, like, two major categories. Basically, there's things on the coast. So that's, like, the Cliff Walk in Newport. There's, like, like I mentioned, there's a ton of shorelines you can go see. The Atlantic Ocean's there. There's all these bays. So there's a bunch of things that you can see on the water. But the, the Cliff Walk in Newport really seems like my preferred one. There's also fun things like this zoo. Let me see what the zoo is called again. Roger Williams Park Zoo. So it's one of the oldest zoos in the country, but their whole thing is that they modernize it not only in design, but also in like their ethics. So it's a mostly non-cage or it's a mostly cage-free zoo and they try to get the environments for each animal to be as close to their native environments as possible. So they're really comfortable and they're not in these cages all day and stuff like that. So recently I've been getting kind of sketched out at zoos because I think since I've gotten a cat and I realized how much happier he is outside, I'm like, ugh, you know, this must be the same for like an elephant. Like an elephant can't want to be in a cage if my cat doesn't even want to be inside, you know. So I'm all for um, getting a little progressive with better zoos um okay but then the other one so i looked up on planetware.com tourist attractions for rhode island and i would say out of the 17 on this list probably 10 of them are these 
mansions. So there's all these old mansions that are like inspired by French or Italian design that are built by these uber rich families that have come into Rhode Island and you can go tour them and learn the history about all those. So I'm not going to go into all of them, but just know there's like 10, you know, mansions that you could see in Rhode Island. But some of the other outdoorsy ones that I'm seeing that look really cool is Colt State Park in Bristol, Rhode Island. It says it's one of New England's loveliest shorelines. It's 464 acres overlooking a panorama of the Narragansett Bay. There's museums on there, stuff like that. There's also Block Island and the Mohegan Bluffs, which are like these cliff-looking uh, things next to a coastline. It looks beautiful. I really, really want to go there. Um, there's a performing arts center, which looks nice. It's not outdoorsy, but looks very nice. Um, so there's a lot of, again, a lot of things on the coast, a lot of mansions, and then you got some cool museums. So lots to do in Rhode Island. Personally, I just want to do the nature stuff, maybe tour one mansion, but then I want to just go see the bluffs. I want to go do the cliff walk in Newport. And then I want to sit in a nice cafe and just drink some coffee milk. You know, that sounds like my top rated vacation. So that is all I have for the history of Rhode Island. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you have been to Rhode Island, your favorite spots to uh, go to, if I did not mention them on the attractions list. And I hope you enjoy. Um, I will be back with a podcast on Monday. So we're going to go over the rest of the New Testament, except for Revelation. So I forget, I forget which book it starts with, but we're going from like, I don't know, Second Peter to Jude or something on Monday. And then I'm actually thinking I'm going to start my third podcast of the week on Saturdays and just do like a little life update, current events, highs, lows, what's God's, what God is teaching me that week, that sort of thing, just like a chatty podcast. And I think I'm going to do that once a week. So I think I'm starting that Saturday. So stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will talk to you all later. Bye everyone.